Good morning. It is good to see you all this morning. I hope you're doing well. Uh, are you enjoying the fact that the mornings are actually cool? I know it's, gonna, it's supposed to get hot again by this afternoon, I know, but the mornings are actually cool and I'm enjoying that very much. I got to begin with a little audience participation poll, okay? For some reason, half of you are sitting over here today and then everybody else is spread over here. So uh, here we go. Raise your hand if you like country music. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay, go ahead, put those hands down. If you, if you like really don't like country music, raise your hand. Yeah, it's uh, pretty similar. It's, I, CBS just did a poll on this and found out that country music is the most popular music in America. Uh, 40% of Americans like country music. 21% of Americans say country music is their favorite kind of music. To which I ask this humble question, why? <laughs> so some of you country music fans, why do you like country music? Tell us. Everybody says the same thing. Stories. It tells a story, yeah? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Nobody's ever heard that one before. <laughs> it's God's music, really. Okay, well, I think you might have an argument on your hands there. Uh, but yeah, that's the, when I ask that question, almost everybody says it's because of the stories. I love that they, the songs tell the stories. I do not love country music, um, but I do love great stories. And so uh, if you give me a great book, I will devour it. I love great movies, um, great books. And, and this is something I love about the Bible. The Bible is amazing because it's not a book. It's 66 books written by over 40 authors over the course of thousands of years and then placed together. And yet, if you open to page one, and you just begin reading, you get this foundation laid for you. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And you're like, okay, I think I'm going to like this. That's like, you know, you open up uh, Tale of Two Cities. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. And you're like, okay, he's got me already, right? I am hooked on this book because it begins with this beginning that just says, so now anything's possible. God has created the heavens and the earth, and so we have the, the context. We know that there is a God, and we know that he has created everything, including you and me, and then the story just takes off. And you see all these um, excuse me, amazing stories of God working in the lives of people, and you see these sort of crescendos and this Great, great poetry sort of in the middle of the, of the Old Testament and then more stories, prophetic things and, and then it reaches really the crescendo as you get to the Gospels in the New Testament and, and really the whole thing reaches its climax when you get to Jesus hanging on a cross at Calvary. When you, when you see that empty tomb on the first Easter morning, you realize God has done so much for us. He looked at us and said, I want to make you my own children. And so he gave his only son so that he would die for us, defeating sin, and he would raise for us, defeating death and guaranteeing that we can have life in Christ forever. And then, and then it doesn't just end there, but you have the apocalyptic literature at the end where it kind of goes, hey, and by the way, um, there's more coming, which I always find cool in movies that you could tell they planned a sequel, right? And it ends with some kind of cliffhanger and you go, oh man, I can't wait to see the sequel. And, and Revelation sort of does that, gives us all this, you know, imagery and this vision of what it's going to be like in heaven and basically says, hey, hang in there, greater things are coming. And, and so when I think of story like that, I just go, that's why I love Jesus' teaching. Because so often he taught in stories and he knew that he could get your attention, hold your attention, and you would relate to it and then he would be able to teach you truth that way. So that's one of the reasons why I decided let's do this series of messages on the parables of Jesus because these parables are so simple. They're not as complicated as Aesop's fables. They're just little simple things that teach us profound truth and Jesus gives us one after another, after another, after another. 
And when he starts telling these stories, I just sort of move toward the edge of my seat and lean in and listen, and he's got me. So, so far we were in Matthew 13. We heard about a farmer who planted some wheat, but some weeds grew up in the midst of the wheat and how he handled that situation. We then saw last week, uh, also in Matthew 13, about a guy who just happens upon some buried treasure, discovers buried treasure, says, what am I going to do, and finds a way to get that buried treasure. And then there was a story of a merchant who's a jeweler, and he goes out looking for jewels, and he comes across this incredible pearl that is just priceless and worth anything, and he sells everything to get it, and Jesus has started us going on these stories now. Now today, what we're gonna do is we're gonna jump out of the book of Matthew and into the book of Luke. So if you're unfamiliar with your Bible, here's how this works. New Testament goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four guys' names. Those are the big books at the beginning, and those tell us the story of Jesus' life and ministry, okay? So if you know where Matthew is, just go Mark, Luke, you'll be in Luke, and go to Luke chapter 15, and that's where we're gonna be today. So whether you're using a paper Bible or your cell phone or a tablet or whatever, go to uh, Luke chapter 15 and meet me there, okay? Because in Luke chapter 15, we have these three parables that are told back to back to back, and they're basically about the same topic, but Jesus gives us a different angle on each one, and he goes, look at it this way. Now come over here and look at it this way. And we get these different angles to see these profound truths that he's trying to teach us, and they all come to us here in Luke chapter 15. Um, and by the way, uh, we're going to be in, this, in these parables for a couple, three weeks here, okay? So I just want to tell you a little uh, public service announcement. Uh, if you have a friend who is hurting and needs to know something about the love of Jesus, I encourage you to bring them in the next week or two. Because as we look at these stories, you're going to get a glimpse into the heart of Jesus that um, shows us just exactly how much he loves us. So we're going to jump in today into Luke, and we're going to look at these, these stories that are about the same thing. And the topic of these stories is lostness. What is it like to be lost? And, and, and what is God willing to do for those who are lost? Now, it's kind of hard to relate to lostness these days because nobody ever gets lost anymore. We all have a map in our pocket, right? Tells us where to go. Um, and, and a little lady's voice that says, turn left, turn right. Hey, you went too far, turn around, right? Do any of you have a man's voice on your thing that tells you which way to go? Yeah, why would you, right? Because... Like, <laughs> I, I expect it to be my wife's voice going, you turn in the wrong place, slow down, why are you going so fast, right? So it's very comfortable for me that I have a lady's voice on my phone telling me these things, it sounds familiar. But it's getting harder and harder to get lost these days, although you can find a way if you try. I was uh, going to San Francisco a few years back uh, I was doing a wedding up there, so it was a whole weekend thing. I was going to come up, do the, the um, rehearsal, rehearsal dinner on Friday night, and then Saturday's the wedding, and then Sunday, and then head home on Sunday. And so um, my, my flight got delayed. They ended up flying me into Oakland instead of San Francisco. I had to take a bus to get to San Francisco to get my rental car. All of that would have been fine. It set me back three or four hours, but I'm thinking I could still make it. I can make it just in time to start the rehearsal, except the night before, I dropped my cell phone and shattered it. And now I had no GPS. So now I'm in a rental car in San Francisco on Friday afternoon in traffic late to a wedding rehearsal that I have to be at, right? And I don't even know how the car works. You know how that is with a rental car? You get in, you're like, where's the, you know, radio? <laughs> where, where, where's, how, where is everything? And so I'm stuck in traffic. I finally get into the main part of the city where I have to go. And, and I don't know if you've ever driven in San Francisco, but I'm pretty sure hell is like that. <laughs> 
Like driving in the city of San Francisco is the worst thing in the world. All the hills are super steep. You have these trolley cars that go right through the middle of the streets. And there's all these one-way streets. There's traffic and crowds. And, and so I'm cruising along. And finally, I see that's the hotel I need to get at. So I whip a left. And finally, I'm going to make it. That's when I realized I'm on a one-way street. And I'm only going one way, but it's not the right one. Okay? And all of a sudden, it's like all those years of video games are paying off. I'm like, whoa! <laughs> and I'm just dodging cars and trying to get, I actually drove up on the sidewalk for about 100 yards to get around people and, and finally was able to turn around and get out of there. By the time I showed up at this thing an hour and a half late, I was just like this. <laughs> I was completely useless. And we got through the whole wedding and did all of that kind of stuff just to top off to tell you the story of how this weekend went. Sunday, I'm leaving. It's time to go. I got to catch a flight. So um, I'm in this beautiful downtown hotel where they put me up, but the parking's too expensive. So I'm parked blocks away, right? <laughs> and so, so I walk out with my bags on Sunday morning, going to go to my car. I have to walk about six blocks to get to my car. I walk out into the San Francisco Gay Rights Parade, the Gay Pride Parade. So I, I literally walk out of my hotel and that is the route of the Gay Pride Parade. And there is no other choice. I've got to get to my car and I'm walking. So if you, if you happen to catch me on the news in that parade, that was not planned, okay? <laughs> that is how my entire weekend went that week. I get stuck in the parade. I get, and so by the time I got home, I was thrilled and and. I realized that even in this day and age with the GPS, you can get lost if you're dumb enough. And so I'm dumb enough. So I want you to just think about, maybe it's been a while since you've been lost. I want you to just think about a time you were lost. And I, and I want you to sort of reconnect with the emotion of being lost and what that feels like. Um, think of it like this. You see this very unusual situation. You have a 30-something man and a four-year-old boy, and they're walking together in a shopping mall. That's weird, right? They don't like to hang out at malls. They don't know their way around malls. They don't know one store from another, but there they are. Why? Because it's Christmas shopping time, and we got to get something for mom, right? So dad loads up the little boy, takes him to the mall. They're looking like deer in headlight, walking through the crowds. They don't know which stores to go to. They go to a department store. Dad thinks, what am I going to get? He goes up to the perfume counter, and he just starts picking up bottles, looking at prices, putting the bottle back down. Pick up a bottle, right? He's doing this, trying to figure this out. Meanwhile, the little boy sees the toy section over there, and he just begins to wander off. As he gets over to the toy section, and dad's still looking at, at stuff for mom, he looks out the, out the door, and there's a toy store outside. And he just wanders right over to the toy store. Before his dad even realizes what's going on, the next thing he hears from a distance is this shriek of a scream that he knows is his son's voice. And he looks up and he realizes that his son is lost. His kid finally looked up in the toy store, looked around, said, I don't know anybody. What am I doing? How did I get here? And begins to scream, right? That emotion... That, that feeling of helplessness, that feeling of brokenness, that's kind of what I think Jesus is trying to get us to reconnect with when he starts telling us about these stories of lostness. Um, the thing about the kid in the mall, he's not a bad kid. It's not like he's rebelling. It's not like he's running off trying to, to disobey his dad. He's just a kid, he just got distracted, right? He just got preoccupied. He saw something that interested him and he began to move toward that thing that interested him until finally he got to a place and he went, how did I get here? It's not that he, he intended to ever rebel or, or break out in any kind of a way, but he's still lost. I remember a news story a few years ago. Some of you probably remember this. It was a family vacationing here from the Midwest, I think, and they were doing all the sites, and they were in L.A. and looking at Hollywood and all of that, 
And as they were trying to get back to their hotel, they took a wrong turn. They got confused. They ended up in a very bad part of L.A. They turned down a street into a cul-de-sac just as uh, gang fire was beginning to erupt. And two of the family members are killed because they're literally in the street between two rival gangs who are shooting at each other. Totally wrong place, wrong time. Incredibly tragic situation. All they did was took a wrong turn. They just got a little bit lost. They're not bad people. They just got confused. They just got lost. I was thinking recently uh, about my first day of high school, which was 40 years ago this month, <laughs> which is just the craziest thought. But uh, I was a freshman going to my freshman year. I had a brother who was a senior at the same high school. Uh, I remember it like it was yesterday. I had first period PE, went to my PE class, got done way early because it was the first day, so they dismissed us, and I got there early to my Spanish class, which was second period, right? And I had the little sheet that you have that tells you what class to go to every time, and it said, Mrs. Smith, Spanish 1, room 206, and I found room 206, and I went to room 206, and as soon as the kids came out of the previous period, I went in, picked the desk, and sat down. I was the first one there. That's when I looked up and saw that my sheet says, Mrs. Smith, Spanish 1, but the board says, Mr. Jones, French 3. <laughs> and I look around the, the posters on the wall, Eiffel Tower, Arc de Triomphe, I'm like, uh... I, this is bad. And I just begin to panic. You have that feeling, right? You're a freshman. It's your first day. I had that feeling. And I just went, oh, this is going to be humiliating. I got to fix this. So I jump up and leave and run to the office. And I'm like, look, my thing says this. I went to the right room, but it's the wrong class. And the little old lady that works in the office says, come with me and takes me by the hand and says, come with me, I'll show you where you need to be. She brings me to that room, looks in the window, sees the wrong name on the board and all the French stuff in the room and says, oh, this must be the wrong room. So she says, I know what I'll do. And she takes me to this next room, opens the door. It is the Spanish four class that my brother is in. <laughs> and she leans in and says, this freshman is lost. Can one of you seniors help him? It was the highlight of my brother's life. <laughs> to this day, I hear about this from him. And it turned out I had been in the right class the whole time. It's just that it was a French class in period one and a Spanish class in period two. So it wasn't even that I wandered off. It wasn't even that I just made a wrong turn. It was that I had the right information, but I didn't follow the information I had. I trusted my own instincts instead of trusting the one who gave me the information. Either way, lost. So the situation is the same no matter what. This morning, we're going to learn two big principles about lostness. The first one is this. It is a universal experience. I just told you three or four different stories about lostness so you would see this picture. It is a universal experience. There is none of us who doesn't know what it's like to be lost or feel lost in our lives. And so it's a universal experience. It happens to all of us now and then. The second thing is that Jesus is tremendously concerned for the lost. We have to understand, Jesus is tremendously concerned for the lost. That's why he tells the stories that we're about to read in Luke 15. And since all of us get lost, and since Jesus is tremendously concerned for the lost, we could put those two principles together and say, Jesus is tremendously concerned for all of us, right? It's interesting to note that even though we all get lost now and then, we don't all get lost for the same reasons. And that's what's illustrated in Luke 15. Now, I told you to turn to Luke 15 10 minutes ago. And so if you're not there yet, you're just not very smart. Okay, Luke 15, here we go. Verse one of Luke 15. <laughs> I said that I'm the only one that's not there yet. Oh, well. <laughs> here we go. Now, all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near to him, him as Jesus, to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. 
Now, let's stop for a second. I want you to notice these two groups that are approaching Jesus, right? The first group is described as tax collectors and sinners. In other words, bad people. The tax collectors in those days were the most hated of, of the Jews. They had gone in cahoots with the Roman government to steal from the Jewish people, and they had gotten rich off the backs of their countrymen, and everybody hated them. Everybody despised them. Nobody respected them. And so you see this again and again in the New Testament where someone is compared to a tax collector. It's the worst thing somebody could be called in that society. And so there's some tax collectors, and there are some sinners, my Bible says, which is an interesting way to just generally speak like, who doesn't that apply to? So I try to look that up and understand, what, is this a specific group of sinners? And what I found is that the word translated sinners there, the Greek word, really says uh, irreligious people. So these are, the, these are the atheists and the agnostics of the day. These are the people who don't show up at temple on Saturday. These are the people who don't participate in the high holy days. They're the people who don't do the feasts. They're the people who, who are secularized. They're, they're living in Israel, the most religious nation on earth, but they are secularized and they don't follow God and they're not interested in God and they don't respect anything about God. And so they're just they're just all lumped together and they're called sinners. Isn't it interesting that these tax collectors and sinners sought Jesus out? How often do you find people who are irreligious, people who don't like God, people who have decided there is no God, come looking for religious leaders? That doesn't happen. But in Jesus' case, it happened all the time. So the most Sinful people in their culture are coming to Jesus saying, hey, we heard you speak the other day. Could you teach us some more stuff? And they're listening to him. And it tells us the reason they came was to listen to him. So they drew near because they wanted to hear what he had to say. But this second group, um, the uh, religious folks, right? Uh, Pharisees and scribes, they came also and they're grumbling to him. And, and they're talking to one another. They're, they're going to correct Jesus. They've, they're saying, hey, this guy hangs out with sinners. Like, what kind of person does that? He says he's a rabbi, and he hangs out with the scum of the earth. Who does that? In fact, did you hear the other night? He was at that party. That thing went on till four in the morning. The cops had to be called multiple times. You know who was at that party? Jesus. He was there with those guys. And the other day, I mean, don't say anything, but I saw him walking with a prostitute. And, and, and you know what? The other day, I heard that he actually saw some lepers along the side of the road and, um, and actually walked toward them and actually touched them. Like, who is this guy? Why? He calls himself a godly man, but look who he hangs out with. He's obviously a drunkard. He's obviously a sinner himself. And they're grumbling among themselves. So Jesus is hearing this. He's got this group of sinners who's come to him to hear more and this group of religious folks who are saying, uh, I don't feel too good about this guy. And he begins to teach them. Okay, pick it up in verse three. So he told them this parable saying, what man among you, if he has a hundred sheep, and has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me for I have found my sheep which was lost. I tell you that uh, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance." So he tells these two groups this story. And it's a story about a sheep, familiar to them. Shepherds and sheep everywhere in the countrysides around where they live, they know a little bit about sheep. Now, I know a little bit about sheep for two reasons. One is I'm a pastor, and in studying the Bible, you keep seeing people compared to sheep. So I had to learn some things about sheep. And the way I learned is my sister is a shepherdess. So she had this big ranch with all of these sheep and she would train sheep herding dogs and do all of that on her ranch. And so I got to be around sheep a lot and see how this all works. And whenever I'm reading the Bible and I see something about a shepherd or something about sheep and I don't understand it, I just call her and go, hey, tell me about sheep. 
and she explains this to me. So I've learned some things over the years about sheep. One of the things I have learned is that without question, sheep are the stupidest animal on earth. They are dumb. Sheep do some dumb stuff. A sheep, if it falls over on its back, will often die because it can't figure out how to stand up. Not because it's not able to stand up, because it can't figure out how to stand up. Sheep have been known to drown in a few inches of water because they don't have the sense to pull their face out of the water, okay? So, so I'm just saying, over and over in Scripture, God says, we're sheep, okay? So what I'm just saying is when you read that, it's not a compliment, okay? You need to realize that. So he tells them this story about sheep. They know something about sheep. And he says, here's what happened. This guy had 100 sheep, and one of them wandered off. This happens all the time. Sheep are prone to wander. It's what they do. And let me tell you why they wander, in case you don't know. Sheep are eating machines. All they want to do is graze. That's the only interest that they have in the world. And as long as there is something green growing out of the ground, they will eat it. And it doesn't matter how full they get, they keep eating. So when a sheep is grazing in a pasture, it just puts its head down and eats. And as long as there's green grass in front of it, it keeps eating and keeps eating and keeps eating and doesn't ever pick up its head. And it just keeps eating until it goes, oh, there's no green grass here. And it picks up its head and looks around and goes, how did I get here? That happens to sheep all the time. And, and they wander off, and that's why you have to have shepherds. And so shepherds are constantly counting the sheep, and they go, oh, some, somebody has wandered off. And then they have to go looking for the one who has wandered off. This morning, we sang that great song about God's reckless love, right? Love that song. And when it first came out, it talks, it talks about reckless love. And I heard some religious folks going, I don't know about this reckless love. Is God reckless? How can we say that about God? And I'm going, man, are you missing the point? He's talking about exactly what Jesus is telling us here in Luke 15, that God is like this shepherd who is willing to leave the 99 and go after the one. Now, anything would tell you that's not wise. That's not the smart thing to do. What if the 99 wander off? What if something happens to the 99? But God is saying, as the good shepherd, he is so in love with us that he looks at each one of us individually and says, I am not willing to live with you wandering and goes and gets us. And that is a reckless kind of love. And so God, with his reckless love, goes after us. That's what this story is about. But the thing I want you to notice, because he tells two stories and they kind of seem like the same thing, but they're not. I want you to know that this sheep, he's not really rebellious, so to speak. He's just distracted. He's just preoccupied. His appetite is leading him instead of his shepherd leading him. And that's how he gets lost. He follows after his appetite. He gets distracted by what he wants and he goes after what he wants until finally, still unsatisfied, he looks up and says, how did I get here? Now, if you can't relate to that, I'm not sure you're being honest with yourself. How often have we gone after what our appetite says we want and this will fulfill me and this will meet my needs and this will make me happy and this will give me purpose and this will give me joy and we get there and we don't have that purpose, that joy, that happiness or any of that stuff. We have basically a mouthful of gravel and we look up and we go, how did I get here? That's what happens to the sheep. This sheep follows his own appetite until he ends up in a place he doesn't want to be, and he needs to be rescued. And it's so interesting to realize what the shepherd does, because this sheep is like the kid in the mall. He didn't mean to get lost. He wasn't running away. He just saw something that interested him more, and he went that direction. And that's how it is for most of us. We don't set out to get lost, but one day we look up and go, I don't even know how I got here, but I don't want to be here. 
So this is not a new thing because you talk to people about this tendency for people to wander and they're like, yeah, you know, the world is a tough place today. It's that internet, you know, that internet just is driving people to sin and people just go get caught up in the, and you know, before there was an internet, it was all about video games. And before it was video games, it was all about TV. And before it was TV, it was all about rock music. And before it was rock music, it was all about long hair, right? And so let me tell you something. It's not the video games, the internet, the long hair, and the rock music. It's the heart of people. And, and God knows that about us. And so he says, we are prone to wander, so you need a shepherd who is willing to go hard after you. And this has been going on for a long time. Let me just read this to you. If you, if you just keep your finger in Luke 15, but maybe turn to the beginning of your Bible, go to Genesis chapter 3, because you don't have to go very... Uh, far into history before you begin to see this being exemplified. Uh, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6. Now, this is a story that you're familiar with. It's the creation story. Adam and Eve are in the garden and they're doing great when suddenly the temptation comes to eat the fruit that God has said you shall not eat, right? And here's what verse 6 says. This is her response to that, Eve's, Eve's response. It says, When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and she ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. It's the exact same story. She sees it, she thinks it's beautiful, she thinks it's attractive, she thinks it looks delicious, that the serpent tells her, you know what, it's gonna make you like God, you won't have to bow down to God anymore, you could be your own God. She hears all this and she goes, I want what I want, and she goes after it, and the result is disaster. And suddenly, she and her husband look up and they say, how did we get here? And we, their descendants, have been asking that same question ever since. Remember several months ago when we were studying Genesis together, we looked at uh, the life of a guy named Lot, and he, he was Abram's uh, uh, nephew, and he went uh, with Abram, and then they had to divide the land, and he chose the, the Jordan Valley because it was beautiful and well-watered, and he could pasture there, and he set up his business there outside of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. But then as time went on, he realized that if he went right to the city gate, he could make more money with the tradesmen as they came through. So he moved his family to the city gate. And before long, he realizes, you know what? If I was actually in the city, I could do better financially. So he moves his family into the city. And before long, he says, you know what? I could be a part of the leadership of the city and that would be even better. And pretty soon, he is one of the elders of the city and his life falls apart because he has drifted into wickedness without even recognizing what he was doing and the wheels come off and so this story gets told again and again and again and again and again and if we fast forward past bible times and into modern times and we get to your life you could tell this story too right how easily the wheels come off when we drift and how desperately we need to be found when we get lost so the sheep in Jesus' story was lost because he foolishly let his appetite determine his behavior, and he got off course. It was his fault, but it wasn't intentional. He never meant to wander away, but sheep are prone to wander. Isaiah tells us this, Isaiah 53, 6, all we like sheep have gone astray, right? Again, that comparison between people and sheep. This little sheep never meant to get lost, but still it's his fault and he's lost. And look at how the good shepherd who represents Jesus uh, responds to this stupid sheep. He does not write him off. He does not go, you know what? If you're so stupid that you would leave the rest of the flock, then just good luck to you. Go ahead and fight a wolf. He doesn't do that. He actually recklessly leaves the 99 behind and extravagantly goes and expresses love to the lost one. And when he finds it, instead of injuring it or punishing it or killing it, he actually picks it up and puts it around his neck and carries it with him so that it will learn to trust him. That's what the good shepherd does. So that's one story of God's reckless love. But there's another kind of lostness that Jesus describes in Luke 15. If you pick it up in verse 8, it says, Or what woman, if she has ten silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? 
When she is founded, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me for I have found the coin which I had lost. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Kind of sounds like the same story. There is someone who loses something and they go hard after it no matter what. But this is a different story and let me tell you why. The sheep is lost because of his own foolishness, but that's not how the coin gets lost. The coin is the victim of somebody else's foolishness. The coin is, is lost because someone dropped it, someone threw it away, someone forgot about it, someone didn't take care of it. And now it's lost. And this woman, we don't get much about this. And we have to be very careful not to read into what Jesus doesn't say. But if you, if you read scholars, what they'll tell you basically is that culturally it would have been understood by his audience. When he says that this woman has 10 silver coins, it's probably talking about her dowry necklace. They would take these coins that were a part of their dowry and they would make a necklace out of some of the coins and the coins would be, they would wear it all the time and it would be a reminder of the security that they have through the dowry. And so this woman probably have, has 10 silver coins and she loses one of them. It's not the value of the coin. That's not the point. You know, you look it up and it says, well, it's probably worth about a day's wage. So it's significant but it's not life-changing money, right? It's not the money. It's the sentimental value. It's the meaning of this thing. This is her dowry necklace, and she has lost one of the main coins from her dowry, and so she is frantically searching for it. So the lost coin is not like the lost sheep. Let me illustrate it this way. When I was little, so little that I'm not sure if I remember this or I just remember hearing the story again and again. I was probably three. My older brother's about five. And then I had an older brother who was a teenager. My dad took the two little boys to the park to pick up my older brother at football practice. We got there early so my dad could watch the end of the football practice. There's a little playground right over here. We went and played on the playground. Dad watched the football practice. And when football practice ends, as the sun goes down and it becomes dark in the park, he takes his teenage son, loads him in the car, and drives home. <laughs> Leaves the toddlers at the park after dark miles from home. So they get home, and they walk into the house, and my mother says where are the boys? And my dad probably says, they're in the car. Let me go get them. I say probably because that's what I would have said if, if I was the dad in that situation, right? <laughs> you, you do not want to say, oh, I left them at the park, right? So he jumps in the car, heads out and comes back, searches the park and finds us and we're fine and we're alive and he brings us home. I know you thought it was going to be a tragic story and it was going to explain why I am the way I am, but no, that's not what happened. So... <laughs> So all of that to say, here are these two little kids lost in a park after dark with no resources whatsoever to take care of themselves, and it was because of someone else's fault, right? We weren't lost because we chose to be lost. We weren't even lost because we were distracted. We were lost because dad was a dumb-dumb, <laughs> right? That's why we were lost. And so this woman has lost the coin the coin is a victim in this story. And I know it's hard to think of a coin that way, but remember, it's representative of people. And so what is he saying? He's saying there, there's groups of lost people. There are those that are lost because they've wandered off after their own appetites and put themselves in a bad situation. And then some of our lostness actually comes from what has happened to us in life. It's not all about what's my fault. Some of us are victims of other people's sin. I mean, there, there's pain in life because of my own sin. There's pain in life because of other people's sin. And there's pain in life just because we live in a broken world, right? And so there's a lot of ways you can get lost. What's interesting to me is that Jesus in these stories doesn't seem to discriminate. He says, if you're lost, I care, and I'm going to come find you. And he goes after us. So the coin, the woman 
goes after her with everything. And she finally, after tearing the house apart, I could see her just unzipping the couch cushions and dumping the dirt out of the house plants and turning the furniture upside down until she finally finds this lost coin. And when she finds this coin, what does she do? She throws a huge party for the whole neighborhood, invites all of her friends to the party to rejoice because she found her coin. I guarantee you the party costs more than the value of the coin. Don't let that be lost on you. Like the, the coin was not determined by some intrinsic value that it brought. The value of the coin was determined by the place it had in her heart. And don't think for a second that, well, I'm, I'm no good. I'm not worth much. Why would God care about me? God cares about you because you're created in the image of God. God cares about you because when he formed you in your mother's womb, you had a plan for your life that involved a relationship with him. God cares about you deeply, and he will go to whatever links necessary. I don't care what anybody else says your value is. God says, I will drop everything, turn all the furniture upside down, and wring the house out until I find you because you matter that much to me. That's what God says. Reckless love. So in the first story, we're the sheep and God's the shepherd. In the second story, we're the coin. God's the woman who will stop at nothing to get it back. And I told you already, when we do these parables, we have to always ask this question, what's the point? The point is this. God cares deeply for the lost. God cares deeply for the lost. And he will go to incredible lengths to find them. Sheep belong in the flock, God says. Coins belong in the necklace. The people belong in the family of God. I'm going to go to whatever lengths I have to go to to reclaim that which is lost. Now think about this for a second. Go back to our story about the kid in the mall who is panicked and freaking out and screaming. There's only one person in that mall that is feeling worse than that kid. And who is it? His dad. I mean, a parent whose kid is in trouble, I mean, you don't need me to say anymore. If you're a parent, you understand. Your heart is broken when your kid is in trouble. Our God's heart is broken when he looks at our lostness. He decides he's going to do something about it. And that is the answer to the question that they were grumbling about. Why does he hang out with people like this? Why does Jesus spend his time with prostitutes? Why does Jesus spend his time with drunks? Why does Jesus spend his time with thieves and, and the scum of the earth? Why does he hang out with the people nobody else is willing to hang out with? Jesus spent real time with these people. He went to their parties he sought after their company. He spent time side by side with them. And when he saw people who were hurting on the side of the road, it didn't matter where he was going or what he had to do, he stopped and he cared for them. That's the heart of Jesus. Lost people are the reason Jesus came in the first place. Don't forget. In fact, in fact just keep a finger there in, in Luke 15, but turn to Luke 19. Just a couple pages. Luke chapter 19, another well-known story. Verse 1, Luke 19, he entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was. And he was unable because of the crowd for he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him for he was about to pass through that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. And when they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, he's gone to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, half of my possessions I'll give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I'll give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because he too is the son of Abraham. And then don't miss this. For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. If Jesus carried a little business card in his wallet that had his mission statement on it, that's what it would be. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He left the throne of heaven 
the worship of angels so that he could live as a peasant on earth and undergo unbelievable suffering as a human being. Humbled himself to that point, the point of death, even death on a cross. Why? Because he came to seek and to save those who are lost. Don't ask about the heart of God without realizing that God has a heart for the lost. Zacchaeus is the lost sheep. Zacchaeus, he's the lost coin. We are the lost sheep. We are the lost coin. That's the point that he's trying to make. Why does Jesus go to such great lengths for the lost? Because we're all lost sheep at one time or another. We all have known what it is to allow our appetites to lead us in a direction that we should never be going and to look up and go, oh my gosh, how did I get here? And we can all relate to the coin because at some point in your life, somewhere, somebody has done you wrong and you're carrying scar tissue in your heart because of how somebody has mistreated you or neglected you or abused you or hurt you. And I say that with complete compassion because it's true of every single one of us. There's nobody who escapes this. And some of us have been relatively broken in our lives since the day we were hurt. And some of us have felt unable to do the right thing, make the right choices, uh, live on the right path. And when we, we ask ourselves why, we go, well, it goes back to when I was eight and this happened to me. It goes back to my parents and how they raised me. It goes back to this abuse that I had or something like that. And as I say, I'm talking about this with complete compassion because none of us has missed this. But at the same time, I want you to know, if ever you have been allowing your past hurt to rob you of the joy of living in the will of God today, you're doubling up the pain unnecessarily because Jesus came to seek and to save those who were lost. And when he seeks us, he saves us. And when he saves us, he redeems us. And when he redeems us, he transforms us and he gives us new life. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things passed away. Behold, all things have become new again. Amen? Amen. See, we got to understand the heart of God. He loves us so much. He doesn't wait for you to find him. He seeks you out when you're lost. We're the reason Jesus left the throne of heaven. We're the reason he hung on a cross and endured all that shame. You might call that extravagant. You might call it reckless. God calls it love. And God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And there is great rejoicing in heaven over one lost sinner who is found. So Jesus says, hey, come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. His love is reckless. He has already gone to great lengths because of our lostness. And so I look out upon a bunch of faces today and I have no idea of those who are sitting in the room or maybe those who are watching this on the internet or those who will watch it or listen to it in the future on podcasts or whatever. I don't know what's going on in your life right now. I don't know what's happening in your heart. I don't know what pain is involved in your lostness. I don't know what appetites you have been going after that have gotten you off track. But all I can tell you is God does and he has been watching every moment of it and his heart has been breaking when your heart has been breaking. And God looks at you and says, I'm not worried about finding a way to punish you. I'm not looking for a way to knock you in the head and make you sorry. What I'm looking for is a relationship with my lost one. I've come to seek and to save that which is lost. And so if you've just sort of wandered in here today and you, you don't... You don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. You're just trying to figure this whole thing out and maybe you're wondering about the claims of God. I just want you to hear the heart of God today when he says, look, I see where you're at and I love you anyway. And I love you so much that I will go to whatever links necessary to get you. You are here today because he loves you. You are here today because he wants to communicate to you how very, very much he loves you and what he's willing to do to make uh, the relationship between you and him right. His love is reckless. He has not given up on you. And I want to tell you this too. He hasn't given up on your loved ones. 
Some of you cry every night because you've got somebody you really love who has wandered away and, and lost is the only way to describe it. I want you to know God hasn't lost sight of your loved one. And he cares. And he is reaching out. His love is reckless. So however you got lost, Jesus came to seek and to save you. If you're lost today, listen to the voice of the good shepherd. He says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Let's bow our heads together for a moment. And I just want to give you a second of quiet in your own space. Maybe the word of God has resonated with you today in such a way that you say, I guess lost is the best way to describe my life. And I want to be found. All you have to do is respond to Jesus' offer. He's done the work. He's not waiting for you to clean up your act. He's not waiting for you to find your way back to him. He has already sought you out. He has already paid your price. Your job is to say yes, Jesus, and begin to follow him as Lord and Savior. To confess that you're a sinner and that you're, you're lost and you can't save yourself. And to invite him to save you and ask him to help you follow him the rest of your life. You could do that today, right where you are right now. You can leave this place knowing that Jesus has given you that new life. For those of you who have loved ones that are still out there and they're lost, God wants to encourage your heart And he wants to remind you that he cares even more than you do. And that he has the power to do something about it. So give it to him. And keep coming back to him. And keep calling out to him. And if you happen to relate well to those Pharisees and scribes who are grumbling because he's so good to such bad people. I want to just remind you that there's nothing good in you or me except that which comes from Jesus. And he loves us all the same. Father, today we want to just thank you for being so good to us. Thank you that we wander and get lost and you come after us relentlessly, recklessly seeking a relationship with us. God, I pray for those who are lost because of hurt that has come into their lives and brokenness and they feel like it can't really be put back together. God, I pray today that you would put your arms around people who are hurting and encourage them and assure them of your love and your grace in their lives. Father, I pray that those of us who know you would have your heart for the lost and that you would use us to be a light in this dark world. We ask it all in Jesus' name, amen.